Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, sleep tight stories. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. My next guest is Daniel Cosillo. He is the founder and chief executive officer of Wasana Health, a biotechnology company focused on developing the novel therapies of tomorrow and delivering new care paradigms for today. Daniel is a well-known speaker and advocate on behalf of traumatic brain injury, TBI, survivors and people dealing with mental health challenges. Mr. Carcillo played in the NHL, which we all know, that little circle can be uh, a train wreck, as they say. reason I say it's a train wreck because his nickname, <laughs> Carbomb, Carbomb, during his 10-year NHL career for his explosive playing on the ice, known for protecting his teammates. They call that an enforcer, okay? In basketball, they got him. In football, they got him. But in hockey and basketball, you, those, two, those two, their word pops up a lot. Mr. Daniel helped Chicago win two Stanley Club championships with the Blackhawks, but a great personal cost to himself. We'll talk about what's on a health and the price you can pay for being an enforcer in the NHL. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass, Mr. Daniel Cosillo. How you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you? Um, let's talk about, I'm going to tell you my hockey. I'm a, I'm a, I love all sports, okay? And I, I was in New York. Uh, I was. I think I was in New York in 90, went to my first hockey game. Was enjoying it. I was enjoying it. I, the one, there's two shows going on at a hockey game, Daniel. You can probably, you're on the ice, but there's also a show that goes on in the stands, okay? And it, it, the the hockey crowd, I think it was the most rowdy group of people I've ever been in the stands with, 
Okay. I've been to the baseball games. I've been to the football games. I've been to the basketball games. Okay. But that hockey fan, beer drinking was extreme and women were the rowdiest I've ever seen in any sports setting with the women. I was like actually stunned, Daniel, at the beer drinking and the rowdiness of the women. Okay, that's my experience in the stands. Then you're dealing with this tremendous uh, volatile sport or violent sports, you can say, a time very graceful called ice. How did you get involved with that as a young hockey player? What attracted you to the sport? So I grew up in Canada, and you know, as soon as you get born, you can walk, you get put on skates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started at uh, three years old. And one of the things that attracted me to the sport was just being able to move with a group of guys towards one goal, because you have to move in in synchronicity uh, towards that common goal. Whoever's more connected uh, will ultimately win the game. And and then there was also this other aspect of, you know, you mentioned uh, going to hockey games. There's no out of bounds. Uh, It's like MMA on skates and (laughs) you're legally allowed to hit somebody when, when they have the puck. So I was definitely attracted to the aggressive nature of the sport as well. Well, the aggressive nature. I wanted to ask you that. For now, I'm going back to my experience at the at the at the, at the hockey game. So I'm enjoying the movement, the 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 the, the, the gracefulness. Then all of a sudden, at the other end of the hockey, there's a fight going on that had nothing to do with the other end of the net. I was I would tell you as as a as a fan, I was like, what the heck? What is going on? But everybody in the stands like, wow, yes, yeah, yeah. This I'm as a I'm, I'm as a first timer, and I've been to more hockey games since then. Was like, like caught off. I never really, really understand how that played a role into it. And people started educating. That's what hockey is. They do that. That's how it goes like that. Explain to me, would you being called car bomb? Because I'm pretty sure you were one of the guys at the other end of the ice, and I was like confused as to what were you doing. What was going on there? Daniel. So we have in hockey, you have four lines of forwards. Uh So you have uh, six forwards, two lines that are essentially your skill guys that are uh, quote unquote untouchable. Mm -hmm. And then you have your third and fourth line who are more grinders who, who wear the other skill guys down. So Mm -hmm. one of my jobs was to be an antagonist was to ensure that the other team knew not to take any shots at our top six guys so there's a little bit of an unwritten code because then I wouldn't take shots at theirs. And if wow. that did happen, then, you know, um, I had a pretty unpredictable nature to myself. So you would have to answer to me. And, and if their guy took shots at, you know, one of our skill guys, you'd think that I would go after the enforcer when in fact I would, you know, take the next shift and my coach would probably put me on the top six line and I would go after one of their skill guys. So kind of tit for tat, get their guys, instead of thinking about scoring goals, distracted by me and, and trying to trying to keep their head on straight. Yeah. In baseball, that would be, if, if, if their star player got hit, then the next inning, when their player comes, they can hit them with a baseball. That's the right. rule. Yep. Now, now, a lot of people are trying to outlaw that. Now, in hockey, the, the model of what you just spoke to me, is that still the norm or are people trying to shy away from that, especially with it being on TV so much nowadays? Yeah, so I think that there's there's a lot of backlash, but I think we have to remember how the game was founded. Yes, sir. 
ultimately there's a regular season, but that regular season is all set up to get to the playoffs to then win the Stanley cup. And the Stanley cup is a seven game series, right? Four rounds of, of seven games. So at the end of the day, there is always this aspect of taking somebody's will to play away. Mm-hmm. And the way you do that is you, you lean on them with, with physicality. Obviously you have to score more goals to win the game, but over that period of time, you have to make sure that there's, there's a nice meld of physicality and skill. And so I don't know if it'll ever, you know, be out of the game, but there's definitely less fighting nowadays, which I think is a positive thing. And there's no more enforcers in the sense of the word. There's guys that can fight if something does happen. And uh, so it's trending in the right direction, being that, you know, now they're on ESPN and TNT and you have some TV deals. And really people, I think, in in Canada still, there's the purists of the sport where they want to see the fighting. But to attract new fans to the game, I think the game is trending in the right direction where, where we're moving away from that. Right. The reason we, we, we this is what just taken to this conversation that whole circle and how you can just run up to a player and just pin them against the ice and you moving at a hundred miles an hour and sometimes they don't see them that 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 coming and it can lead to an ultimate collision or smash up against the rink itself. And those collisions are what leads us to the conversation we're having today. Those. Those, uh, you know, you see them in football, you know, a running back is coming through the line, another player is meeting him at the same impactful moment. That's causing brain damage. Uh, and, and it's causing people starting to do tests. Some people are dying and asking, can we get that player's brain so we can do research on that? Is that where we're at with Wasana? Yeah, so I think that donating your brain for research is really important. Unfortunately, that happens after men have passed away. Uh, with a history of repetitive head trauma, there's never been anybody found to have a chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is a neurodegenerative disease similar to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, and dementia, where eventually a tau protein takes over your brain and you're unable to do the normal tasks um, of an everyday human being. And when these symptoms start to arise and there's little to no education or awareness or understanding, then you have people uh, passing away and trying to cope in a a number of different various ways. So I think that the settlement with the NFL really opened a lot of people's eyes uh, and in the community of hockey to speaking about how not only the concussive hits uh, are affecting individuals after they're done playing and during, but... Also, how these subconcussive hits are are affecting people over a longer period of time. So they've done things like move the age of hitting up um, to incur less damage, et cetera. But uh, we are definitely in a brain-eccentric age. If you look at all supplementations and and even outside of the sporting world, everybody's really focused on on the brain. And so, you know, I think, making sure that people, that the men playing the sports are aware of of the risk and then making sure that they have the proper treatment uh, to recover during the sport right. and then after uh, having the proper resources to rely on, I think is extremely important. And it's one of our goals, absolutely, mm-hmm. to raise awareness for that and for traumatic brain injury. You know, I, was, I just recently saw a special. I want to make sure I get the team. I believe it was the Red Wings versus the Avalanche. Correct, yeah. And uh, and so, you know, and my wife, you know, she doesn't watch hockey. 
And it was so, it was such a compelling series, and plus a violent series too. You know, it was like you know, it was like you know, you was you was you was blown away because of the fact that you know here were two of the violent individuals that were sitting sharing the stage as warriors who can actually sit next to each other and be civil. How did you translate? You being this, you know, you don't get a name like, uh, you know, Car Bomb unless you're doing something out there. How did that translate? I know your teammates got you. How did it translate away from the court with your competitors or the other teams in the league? So it's it's funny. Guys that did my job are usually the closest. We'd run into each other at, you know, bars or mm-hmm. afterwards at um, other events and shake hands and hug. And it was just all part of of the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was all understood. It's similar to the confusion that you see. I'm sure some people get when MMA fighters are clapping each other and hugging (laughs) immediately after Mm -hmm. the fight. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. hockey's um, very much like MMA on skates. I think that's why it's so compelling and exciting when you go and watch it live. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's such a different experience to when you're watching it on TV. Uh, But we get on, we get on pretty well and we understand that, you know, we are, gladiators in a sense that um, we're programmed to suffer and to take damage for the good of the team. Right. And however that looks, if that looks like fighting somebody, then so be it. If it looks like laying down, blocking a hundred mile an hour slap shot. Um, however, we can get to the final goal of, <laughs> of winning. Uh-huh. Uh, it's all, it's all a part of that game. Let me, let me just, just, I know the interview is about this, but I just want to get your feedback. Did you, I saw that and I was just taken away by the violence and then the teamwork and the camaraderie of it. Uh, a person like you who was not part of that and saw that, what was your takeaway? Was it too much violence? Did you say, wow, sometimes go, oh my God. When you watch that 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 special that was put put on by ESPN, the uh, Redbirds, I mean the Red Wings versus the Avalanche. Yeah, so that's how I learned the game. Uh, I watched <laughs> Rock'em Sock'em videos, and right. I watched these men be gladiators out there, and mm-hmm. and the game was again like much different back then than it is today, right? Where it's trending in a different direction. But when I came up. I'm only 37 years old. Mm-hmm. It was very much like that, mm-hmm. where you would start games, the puck would drop, and you'd have two guys fighting right away. And so, um, you know, there's a couple things that bring people out of their seats, and and one of them that brings everybody out of their seats is a fight. Yes. So, um, and their fights, were, their fights were legendary. Their fights yeah. were, woo! woo. Oh, line brawls, right? Yeah. You, so you saw less of like five guys fighting and bench clearing brawls, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It still happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, to make the game, to grow the game yes, outside sir. of, you know, the six Canadian teams that we have and, and outside of Colorado mm-hmm. and these original six teams, Chicago, Detroit, mm-hmm. uh, we have to, the game has to evolve. And that's, that's definitely what's, what's happening now. Cool. I'm speaking to Daniel Carcillo. Uh He's the two-time uh, Stanley Cup champion with the Chicago Blackhawks. What year did you win those, those, those titles? 
So I lost to them in 2010 with the Flyers, mm -hmm. and then I ended up signing with them in 2012. I won a cup in 2013. I was in, I thought so. I was in Chicago. I was managing Steve Harvey at the time, and okay. we were doing the talk show in Chicago. I said, he probably was up there when I was up there and won, won those titles up there. Boy, that yep. city was on fire, man, because we did our talk show the first season, 2012, and y'all won it, and then y'all won it again. Man, that city was on fire about the Blackhawks, man. It was, yeah. It was a really amazing time to be a Blackhawk, to be in the city. Uh, it really was one of the modern dynasties because you don't see many teams winning three times within a eight-year period. We'll be right back with more Money-Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Now let's return to Money-Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. So now, now you're out of hockey. And so, like I said, you play the game to play the game. You play the game to win. You play the game because God gave you a talent. When you start realizing that something's not right in the game that you're playing, when did you start realizing that, Daniel? So when I signed with the Blackhawks, uh, I made an intention to not, you know, manage my symptoms with, you know, alcohol, opiates, um, tortorol, cortisol, these anti-inflammatories that most athletes are on. So I was at 25. And when I got to the Blackhawks, I met Steve Monador, uh, who was seven years sober. And he'd been through 16 traumatic brain injuries at that time. And we were kind of just, um, we, we became really, really fast friends and, and stayed by each other's side for the next five years. Uh, in 2013, Steve got cleared for four concussions in a 12-week period. And he, so at that point, he had 19, and he started to really suffer. And I started to see very similar symptoms in myself that he had. And then what are those symptoms, Daniel? Can you tell us who does, what those symptoms were that you started noticing? Yeah, so things like light sensitivity, slurred speech, headache, head pressure, insomnia, impulse control issues appetite loss, short-term, long-term memory loss, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. Mm. There was, um, you know, they're pretty serious symptoms, and it's, it's kind of the first onset of dementia. And when you're experiencing that at 33, 34, while you're still playing, and I'm watching my friend who then retired uh, really accelerate his uh, degradation, if you will, um, I just looked at myself and I just had my son in 2014, 2015, February, Steve passed away. And then he was found to have a stage three CTE, which is a pretty progressive stage uh, for him only being 34. So at the end of that year, we ended up winning again, but I ended up suffering pretty bad. And then I got my seventh concussion in March and for reasons that I made for my family and for myself, I decided to to retire and step away. And then I've since been on this eight-year brain health journey to recover my brain quality of life. And it's mm -hmm. brought me across a number of different treatments and tools and modalities that I've been able to luckily share with with the following that I have. Well, you know, the interesting thing about it, when this interview opportunity was, was presented itself to me, you know, I, you know, coming off Mental Health Month, coming off Mental Health and Minorities, and, and we're coming off so many layers of trying to get the message across, Daniel, is that the football, pro football has done a good job of getting the word out that we have a problem. 
You know, we have a problem. They've talked about high school. They've talked about middle school, changing the way you tackle, you know, not tackling with your head. All these things have been put in place. And I felt that I at least should allow you to start telling your story, the mm. NHL story, because changes don't happen if it's just only a few people hear about it. And right. I hope that my platform allows more people to hear about it. What are you trying to get out the most doing this interview about the Wasana Health platform as well as the experiences that may need to happen within the NHL for it to be a safer but still entertaining league? Yeah, so as far as the NHL goes, I'm really not trying to do anything to change any rules. Okay. I just want, because damage is going to happen, so I just want individuals in the league outside of the league if you have kids to know that there's things that you can do to train your brain mm -hmm. to increase processing speed hand-eye coordination mm -hmm. as well as peripheral vision because unfortunately right now there's only a couple things that can protect your brain from mm -hmm. further injury which is seeing the hit coming and bracing for it so that you stop the whiplash effect effectively stopping the damage of your brain sloshing around in a rigid skull and then things like CBD, which is a patented neuroprotectant patented right. by the U.S. government in 2003, the only patented neuroprotectant on Earth. So things like that that I advocate for. And then just the treatments that I've come across. I've been a, a staunch mental health traumatic brain injury advocate, and I always preface it with things can happen in different arenas because I've talked with veterans, I've talked with domestic abuse survivors. I've talked with football players, um, uh, cheerleaders, right. uh, you know, um, swimming, people that swim and, and hit their heads during practice because the pool is populated. So there's equestrian. I mean, there's a, a bunch of different arenas. And I always just speak from the context of if you're suffering, there's things that you can do. And um, those things don't always include medicine. Uh, they can because it does help. Um, but they can also include things like float tanks or self-deprivation tanks, hyperbaric chamber, cranial sacral, which is a technique to, to decompress the brain, uh, and also supplementation regimens. And really, that's where WeSANA was founded, because up until three years ago, I was still suffering. If you see the right. before and after pictures, I was uh, a complete shell of myself. I wasn't able to put thoughts, words, conversations together. And it was deteriorating pretty quickly. It was a very scary time in my life. And, mm -hmm. and then I took an invitation to go to a decriminalized city and use the active ingredient uh, in magic mushrooms, which is psilocybin, to recover my brain health. And it happened in, a, in about a 60-day period. And I've now been on that regiment for almost three and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I've never been um, a healthier version of myself or higher operating. And uh, just making sure that, you know, once you find something that you can create something uh, like WeSANA, which can go through the proper regulatory scientific rigor with the FDA to create a new medication for people because I believe that people need a diagnosis and then they need a prescription um, that doesn't necessarily take them six months to get acclimated to, like the current SSRIs and antidepressants right. we have on the market. When they sent the bio over to me about certain things they wanted to talk about, when I hear the word psychedelic-assisted therapy, I'm going old school. I hear the word LSD when I hear psychedelic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Are we talking about that, or are we talking about uh, CBD, or what are we talking about when you talk about the assisted therapy? Because you yeah, talk about so the it's a, it's a combination mm -hmm. that I've taken, mm -hmm. uh, both hallucinogenic and mm -hmm. non-hallucinogenic. So yes, when 
when you're doing the larger doses of psilocybin, you definitely want to have a person there that's guiding you. So that's what they speak about in the context of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And psychotherapy works. We know that. And when you add in something like psilocybin or MDMA that's going to be coming online, it's in phase three for PTSD survivors with the FDA right now. You are basically in a lot of these substances um, looking at the trauma, meeting the trauma head on. So in the context of addiction, you are figuring out and you will be shown why you are addicted to a certain substance or why you're suffering from PTSD. You have to relive that trauma in order to come out of that ceremony, um, feeling a little less weight. So then when in real life you have something that triggers you and triggers that trauma, you have a less emotional response to it, effectively not needing the alcohol or the other substances that you would normally need to numb that down. So uh, it's a really efficacious way of, of dealing with mental health symptoms and it's um, successful over 67% of the time, unlike what we have on the market now, that works around 17 to 30% of the time. Well, as I'm talking to Daniel Casillo in regards to um, the Wasana Health, a two-time champion. That's right, Stanley Cup and uh, Chicago Blackhawks. He's a champion there. Now he's trying to champion a cause that's out there trying to make a difference with with brain traumatic brain injury. You know, and we can talk about just car accidents. We can talk about it's a lot of different ways. Uh, I, I like a like a knucklehead. I tell you, I I I got a hickey right here, Daniel. Mm-hmm. When I was underneath the cabinet, forgot the top cabinet was up. And raised up automatically, and bro, I saw if I, I saw stars, I saw I could I could touch them, and so <laughs> these type of injuries, you know, we kind of like blow them off, but people have died from these type of injuries, you know, sudden impact on your brain. So we cannot trivialize what you're talking about in any situation, especially when you involve your kid in physical sports, whether it's uh, you know, like I said, whether, you know, we look at it, we look at we look at wrestling, we look at football, we look at uh hockey, but it also happens in basketball because the physical contact, the elbows to the face, you know, sudden going and elevating in the air, you fall, hit your head on the floor. There's so many ways that kids and young people are walking away. I just want to let you know, man, you look fantastic. You're very articulate. And to say that you were a state several years ago where you were a shell of a man today, my brother, you are outstanding, man. I am, I am a, uh, I am a walking testimony to hear you. That I want to send me whatever you got to send to me to promote what you're doing. Because if this what it can get you from, some from a shell to getting control of your life, being articulate, having a smile, brand awareness, social awareness, let's get that message out there. Wasana, where you at, man? That's that's my new Wakanda, okay? <laughs> well, thank you, man. I appreciate the kind words. And it's um yeah, it's been a it's been a long journey. Mm-hmm. I feel I've always felt that there's a larger purpose to life than, you know, essentially pushing a puck around, you know, it was kind mm-hmm. of always, uh, I have a mind that was always kind of looking for other things, even mm-hmm. though I was in my career. And, um, I feel like, you know, you get tested and this is, uh, not necessarily another test, but uh, really a culmination of, of everything that I've done in my life up to this point, uh, to help mitigate suffering, whether it's in the traumatic brain injury context or whether it's outside of it, because, these medicines have the potential to help activate the brain, 
help flush out, you know, inflammation uh, from from damaged parts of the brain, stimulate the brain, mm-hmm. essentially uh, making us uh, feel better, mm-hmm. more creative, mm-hmm. better access to language and mm-hmm. and memory. Mm-hmm. And it's um, yeah, it's just a really exciting time. So I appreciate you having me on your platform to to talk about this. Well, I appreciate you because first of all, knowledge is power. And when you have knowledge and you're able to share with people who may not be aware, I think it's even more credible experience. The fact that you've taken a brilliant career, 10 years in any sport, especially at the level you played, to walk away with two championships and then to be on that interview and be able to articulate the next phase of your life. This is the one that I always tell people, anything in life, you know, athletics is a short phase of your life. The other phase of your life, that 50 plus period, what are you doing now? You have a plan, my friend Daniel, and I am. Uh, I, I want to champion it, and I'm, I'm very serious. Whatever you do, I want to kind of like, you know, if you can give me something that we can par down to, uh, the information so I can put it into my social media, put it on my newsletter and things like that, on my LinkedIn account, I definitely want to assist you in uh, spreading the word, okay? Of course. No, I appreciate that. I'll, I'll definitely send over some information. Thank you. I want to thank him for coming on my show two times, Stanley Cup champion. He was uh, he won it when I was in Chicago. Okay, so I <laughs> I I feel like I got a little ownership for this man's relationship. Again, no, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations Masterclass, Daniel. You're welcome. Thanks again for having me, man. If you want to see this interview or hear this interview on Money Making Conversation Masterclass, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations, Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations Masterclass with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week, I sat down with attorney, arbitrator, author, and Emmy-nominated host of Divorce Court, Judge Faith Jenkins. Judge Faith Jenkins shares why it may be beneficial to add your own perspective and opinion to your position. What would happen with someone's case would literally depend on who got their case. So if I got a case and it was a young you know person from Harlem I would have a different perspective than a lot of my colleagues so it was very important for me to add my perspective to that job so when it came time to calling on me for television they were looking for people like me right. who could add a different perspective and opinion when giving analysis on these cases if you want to listen to this full interview with judge Faith Jenkins it's available on moneymakingconversations.com now let's return to money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. My guest is Shelly Fanfan. Ms. Fanfan is the Florida State Licensed Mental Health Counselor. She is currently the Chief Executive Officer of Harmony Mental Health and Behavioral Services for Children, Adolescents, and Adults. Shelly is also the founder and sole owner of Ask Shelly Consultant, LLC, where she consults with individual businesses, ministries, and organizations to maximize performance and productivity. Shelly's passion is to change the world one life, one family, and one community at a time. Please welcome the Money Making Conversation Masterclass, Shelly Fanfan. How are you doing? I am well. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, you seem bright, chipper. Is that is that standard MO for your personality? Absolutely. I got up this morning. I still have purpose. Uh, impact is my, my, my currency. Right. So, yes. There's so much more to smile about than there is to frown about. But you know, but you always get these people go, why are you so happy? 
Well, you know, they, they want to bring you down. You know, they want they they feel there's a reason, a dysfunctional role in your life to have this level of enthusiasm. That I say I say that not even jokingly, because they have people like that. How do Absolutely. you how do you um deal with people who who have that negative built-in energy that they want to just spread instead of absorbing positivity? AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I try to be as positive as possible and make sure that I do that consistently because being fulfilled and being in purpose and finding a reason to smile is no longer a normal thing. It's quite abnormal. So when people respond to that, it's because they are expecting you to be defeated. They're expecting you to be discouraged. They're expected you to be at your wits end. And so it's not uncommon for people to ask me like, why are you smiling so big? But the reason 
reason why my mantra is live in your smile is because I went through that stage in my life mm-hmm. where I, you know, you know, I spread the misery because I was so miserable on the inside. Mm-hmm. And so I am very intentional right. about spreading positivity. And when I deal with people or when I come to, uh, across, across people who have that attitude, I just basically confront them and encourage them to fix their focus. And um, I try my best to give them a different perspective and let them know that there's so much more working for us than there is working against us. When you speak of that different perspective, because it's based on who you meet. There's no cookie cutter game plan you can give to everybody. Otherwise, you're not really servicing them correctly and also hearing their issues, you know. Now, your name is that I introduced you was Shelly Fan Fan. Was that born and raised name? It is. Okay, cool. So, you know, we go through life and, uh, you know, I, I remember when middle school at times I was bullied. Okay, and you have a name, your name has a little oddity to it, Fan Fan. So were you teased? And when you were teased, did it lead to any bullying incidents that you can remember that that you had to overcome or share with your parents or the teachers to, to, to you know, keep you focused and enjoy going to school? I'm happy that you bring that up. Such a good question because I love my name now. It works so well with campaigns because people are like, I'm a fan of fan fan. I'm like, yeah, keep that energy going. (laughs) But let me tell you, I never, it took a long time for me to really embrace that name because I was bullied. Right. Fan fan is a very uncommon name. It's actually of Haitian descent. It's Mm -hmm. pronounced fuffa. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, in our English language, it is pronounced fan fan. That's what people get. That's how they are able to pronounce it. And so in school, I was bullied for having a very strange last name. Right. I was bullied for being so skinny. I was bullied for being Haitian. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. All the things that make me me. And so it really impacted my capacity to self-accept. Now, you know, I know that... Um... I would, when I look back at my life, I I, I kind of went with the flow. I, you know, when I say that is that the things that people tease me about, I stopped doing it so I could fit in. You know, like they like my teacher used to always ask me to read publicly. You know, and in the classroom, and and one I remember a couple of students they were very very upset that I was always chosen to read. And I, that really hit me when I look back on it. And I, and I just started, you know, just started breaking up my words and saying ain't instead of isn't so I can stop being the special student. And so and so I, I, I understand that because of the fact that when you start talking about mental health, people need to understand it, it doesn't start in high school. It doesn't start as an adult. Sometimes it can go all the way back to, you know, uh, preschool, uh, how... The adults allow certain situations, the crying baby or the kid in the corner by itself or the way the kids dress. And because kids start at a blank slate. So let's start at the at the um, at that age level that you start counseling and, and and treating so we can then we move up to adolescence, then teens, then adults and adults is a whole new story. But sometimes if you don't get to adulthood with the proper guidance, then you're a disaster. Correct. Right. Well, I'd like to take it back one more stage, Mm -hmm. and that's in vitro. And it's important for people to understand that mental health starts when you are in the womb of your mom. Mm -hmm. Because in your womb, in the womb of of a woman, 
a child is developing, the brain is developing. There is a soul. They have the sense of hearing. I could go on and on about the fetus inside of a woman's womb. And a lot of the times when I'm dealing with individuals who are trying to overcome trauma, their trauma dates back all the way to when they were in their mother's womb. And it could be because the mother was a victim of violence herself, or the mother was a drug abuser. I could go on and on. And so it's important to understand that our mental health lifeline actually starts When we were in the womb of our mothers, the way that our mothers cared for them, for herself, her mental health, how well she attended to her health needs while she was pregnant with you has to do, and it is included in the mental health lifeline. When we're working with preschool children or kindergartners, those young, because I treat from the ages of two to 99, Mm -hmm. it's important to understand that there's so much um, of there's so much involved in a child's development of self-identity that incorporates their peer interactions. And so when we as parents and caregivers minimize when they come to us and say such and such was talking about me, all the things that we find trivial, it's very huge to a child. And so it's important to understand that those things create impressions Everything creates impressions. Our brain is a huge recorder. Mm -hmm. Even those memories that we don't have access to have power. And so as we develop through those developmental stages and we are trying to find ourselves, it's important to understand that all of those experiences matter. They are impressions. And what we impress, we will express. What we impress is what we express. So a lot of times when I'm working with adults, it's important for me to kind of go back to those learned experiences that cause those impressions and try to unlearn them so that they can find some freedom and the opportunity to relearn healthy connections and healthy ideas. Absolutely. Now, as I'm talking to Dr. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm talking to Shelly Fan Fan. She mm-hmm. is a um, licensed, important licensed mental health counselor. And the reason I, I've been interviewing a lot of uh, African Americans, uh, people of color, about mental health because in the community of black and brown, we kind of shy away, you know, because just using street terms, I don't want to think I'm crazy. You know, I don't think, you know, you know, people still use the word retarded and associated with, you know, craziness. And, you know, these are terminologies within our community that we have not wrapped our conversation around and that it doesn't allow us to move forward. You know, we call our kids slow. You know, it's still humor tied to a child not functioning uh, properly. Uh, that child may be discarded into the back of the house or the or to a different conversation or may not be included in part of the com- family conversation because of embarrassment. How do you deal with those? Because like I said, you, we, we start to move forward now because it's called participation. It's called inclusive uh, awareness of a child. Uh, um Intelligence, a child's uh, social adaptability, adaptability, and things like that. Talk to us. Well, it starts with education. Mm-hmm. 
because our breakthrough is often on the other side of something we do not know. Right. And so this idea of crazy, Mm -hmm. usually when people say crazy, I ask them, what does that look like for you? Mm -hmm. And so most people will define like a person. Think of a man at a 7-Eleven who's talking to himself you know, wiggling his fingers and responding to internal stimuli. Most of the time people see that as mental illness. Mm -hmm. When they think of the word mental health, they automatically think mental illness. The person who has schizophrenia, the -hmm. person who has bipolar, who's blowing up things, burning things and having anger outbursts. And what I try to teach Every opportunity that I have, especially to black and brown communities, is that mental health is a spectrum. It starts with being completely whole and emotionally well. And most of us do not fit into that category. All the way to having a diagnosable mental health disorder. So what I try to teach is what does it look like Outside of that space, outside of the area, that criteria for mental illness, what does the rest of that spectrum look like? The rest of that spectrum looks like your inability to commit to another person. It looks like your inability to get eight hours of uninterrupted rest. Mm -hmm. It looks like your Mm self-doubt. It looks like your fear and anxiety that keeps you stuck. It looks like your procrastination. It looks like that book that you haven't written. It looks like that song that you haven't sung. It looks like your inability to overcome your emotional issues. It's your inability to to communicate effectively without allowing your emotions to drive the car. It's your incapacity to manage your anger and be successful at work. It's your inability to manage your finances effectively. When we look at it that way, it changes our mind about what mental health really looks like. And then it expands the need in our communities for help. Right. Well, you know, the thing about it is that you have an inner city thing you have, which is which which is totally a lockdown. And well, we know that's a lot of work that has to be done. You're talking about the wealth gap. That's a mental gap, too. That's with definitely in the Minnesota city, but it's all about embarrassing uh, uh, how people feel the statue or the or the place they want to be recognized within the community, and it starts with your children, and your children are your future. And so, you know, we bring these innocent tots or innocent people into our lives, and I always tell people to have a healthy child, and that, that may be defined what you might call healthy, uh, into a life is a miracle, and in the process of the adults, this is the whole thing. You have an adult, you have a child. And then the, and the child may not be living up to the physical or mental expectations of the parent. How do you deal with that so the love and the, and the not lowering the standards, but raising the, the love mm-hmm. and being able to push that child at that level to their maximum efforts? How do you balance that? Because you're dealing with all three You're dealing with the adolescents, you're dealing with the children, and you're dealing with the adults. So in parenting, when we are providing parenting training, one of the things or one of the main lessons that we teach is that the love and affection, celebration of life, those things should not be contingent upon expectations or what we define as good behavior. Right. It should never 
right? And so sometimes I'll have um, parents say, oh, well, we canceled his birthday party because he was blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. He didn't listen. He got in trouble. And so we have to help parents understand what's healthy to have as contingencies because a lot of parenting is very performance-based. And then we grow up as adults and we are overperformers. We are perfectionists. We're not living happy lives. And where does that come from? That comes from performance-based parenting, where I love you when I say, when I believe you're doing good. When the report cards all A's, when you got that trophy at school, it is at that point that I give you love and affection. But when you are not meeting my expectations, I withhold my love and affection. It causes children to understand that love depends on da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Fill in the blank. And that's a that's a problem for a lot of marriages, too. I always say when you say I love you because everything after the word because becomes a condition. And so we have to actually teach parents how to unconditionally love and accept their children. And half the time, parents who parent that way is because they were parented that way. And so it's about going back and breaking those generational understanding, those generational choices, those generational curses in order to set the children free. One of the things also, in addition to that, teaching unconditional love in our parenting, we also have to teach that there's no such thing as good or bad parenting. It's either it's effective or ineffective. And when we are not raising children that are emotionally intelligent and mentally stable, there is some ineffectivity in the way that a person parents. And then it gives us an opportunity to teach parents new skills. New skills are really the key. It, it's, when, uh, they sent them a, a series of questions for me to include in my interview with you. Um, I'm speaking with um, Shelly Fan Fan. Um, she's a licensed in the state of Florida, mental health counselor. She also has uh, another organization called Ask Shelly Consulting LLC, where she consults with individuals, businesses, ministries, and organizations to maximize performance and productivity. That's all we talk about now, productivity, especially coming out of the uh, COVID experience, but also came out of the COVID experience was uh, two words that I heard a lot, conflict resolution. And I heard it a lot in law enforcement, conflict mm. resolution. Of course, you know, conflict it happens in everything. It happens in children, it happens in relationships, it happens in the two adults uh, trying to get into the same door going into a 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> so when you hear the word conflict resolution, I'm sure that's been a prominent part of your conversations. How? What exactly does that mean, conflict resolution? Well, it means that it's it's basically a process by which we manage unmet expectations. Because when you think about conflict, conflict is a problem. It's a nice word for problem. Problems are always rooted in an expectation that wasn't met. Think of a problem right now. Think of problems that you dealt with. It always goes back to a an expectation that you had of someone, something, an outcome that you were expecting, and the expectation wasn't met. And so conflict resolution teaches skill sets on how to manage that distress. If right. that conflict is with another person, conflict resolution teaches how to have those courageous conversations and be solution focused in it. How do you manage your emotions, that disappointment, that anger, that frustration? How do you manage that in order to get to a resolution? 
resolution with someone that you want to preserve a relationship with. Sometimes the resolution is deuces and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. But conflict resolution is about that. And one of the things that I teach as a corporate trainer is a lot of the time when we say conflict resolution, what we're trying to say is conflict management. Why? Because we may not always resolve our conflict. The resolution may be that we're just going to agree to disagree. Is that a resolve? Well, maybe not, but it's a a, a way that we're managing conflict so that we can still be effective. We can still be partners. We can still be married. We can still be co-parents. We could still, you know, be effective and work toward the goal. Conflict management is always the key. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Conflict management can be sectioned off. You know, when you're when you're in a police officer, that's a separate conflict management. When you go in for mediation with parenting, that's a separate conflict management resolution discussion, as well as in a girlfriend or a partner relationship or a husband and wife relationship because there's certain contractual agreements that you have when you get married. A lot of people don't realize you've signed the contract, you know. That's right. Well, when you were just a partner or girlfriend, boyfriend, you can go deuce, I'm out, you know, <laughs> depending on if you've moved in with that person, then that's a different deuce. <laughs> right. That's a certain mediation. That's where the conflict can get kind of kind of dicey. But uh, in, in, in talking to you in mental health and, and, you know, it all goes back to stress. It always goes back to, am I living up to my personal standards? Then, then if you're not living up to your personal standards, are you living up to your kids' standards? Are you living up to your job standards? So you can just put all this weight on your back and like that, that little image of that guy holding up the world atlas, hold up the yes. you can feel like that person. And guess what? It may never come off of you unless you learn how to handle stress. Right. Now, I've always felt that. You know, stress for me, I, I handle it a lot of different ways. Uh, I mean, when I when I bought a house in Atlanta, I made sure I had water near me. So I go near water. I just watch that calmness of the water. And it's just, just seeing it, it just really brings me down. And so, because I'm not a cigar smoker, I don't drink wine. So everything is always 100% on me. And so how I deal mm. with that. I love to bake. I love to cook. You know, because it's a short term window and I can see success. Sometimes stress is tied to goals. And so and then in my office, I have a garden. And so I have this 45 day window where I can see tomatoes. I can see okra. I can see collard greens. And so that's how I deal with stress. And I'm just giving those examples of, of because there's so many different ways. But I, tie, I tend to tie short time, short term windows to to be able to, especially if you're a goal-oriented person like me, and you have these long committed plans where you know, it's a month away or it's a year away, or you're not even reaching your goals. Well, I can go out to my garden, I can pull me some cherry tomatoes, and I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say stress management, am I in the right direction, Shelly? You are absolutely, you hit the nail on the head. Stress management is about under first and foremost. Understanding the importance of 
having practical wellness tools. Okay. What you just talked about are wellness tools. Mm-hmm. I garden. I make sure that I am living by the water. And, you know, I, I have these, I give myself an opportunity to achieve success. That's what that is. Like, right. I want to be able to see the tomatoes growing. That's mm-hmm. success. Mm-hmm. These are wellness tools. And unfortunately, many people don't have many. They mm-hmm. may have one or two tools that they use. So if my tool is a glass of wine and sleep, that I'm not dealing with my stress because the tools that I'm using are very avoidant. And so we teach uh, how to classify your stressors into two main categories. What stressors are avoidable Mm -hmm. and what stressors are unavoidable? Because the ones that are avoidable, then we need to be strategic about avoiding them in a healthy way. Because escape avoidance sometimes becomes very unhealthy. You're not really living life because you're just living in escape avoidance, just running from those stressors. So in a healthy way, how do we avoid those avoidable stressors and how do we manage our stress in those unavoidable stressors? And I am telling you, in the 24 years that I have been in practice, there are so many people out there that do not know how to, here's a word, Here's a word, and that is decompress. Mm-hmm. Like, decompress. What do you do to decompress? Because if you're trying to manage your stress, but you don't have the capacity to decompress, it's going to be very difficult to manage the stress. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we teach, you know, a good planning, making sure that we teach harmony versus balance, mm-hmm. teach, make sure that you are around people that are going to pour life into you, accountability partnerships, set realistic goals. But, but deeper than that has to be the capacity to decompress. That's your ability to take your anger from a 10 to a six, right? your anxiety from a seven to a three, leaving your office and going at home and understanding you have to change roles now. Right. Your hats have to change. There has to be an exchange made either at your front door or on your way home right. so that you're not bringing that energy into your sanctuary. Right. Decompression is key. And there are people that don't know this. They have to learn how. And that's why therapy is so effective. Cool. Um, again, I'm speaking to Shelly Fan Fan. I'm a fan of Fan Fan. Okay. And uh, she's, a, <laughs> she's a state of Florida uh, mental health counselor. And also she uh, deals with uh, what I like to talk about. The, the conversation we don't have. Children have mental health that are not tied to the words that we use because you know, there's so many stress levels that kids have to deal with because we have technology. You know, video games create stress. Uh, just watch, being able to have apps create stress. The fact that you, your child and yourself are tied to a phone, so they are, they're privy to conversations That's while good. you're driving in a car that was not privy when I was growing up. You know, we drove, we drove. We got in the car. Now you're on the phone. That child may want that attention, but you're giving all that attention yes. to the person you're dealing on the phone. They may hear your stress levels, and they pick that up. So know yes. that your world, sometimes you're inviting that stress into your child's life because of technology. So I want to close with you giving us some pointers on overcoming life's obstacles. Absolutely. And are you talking about in in terms of children? Because you hit something, you hit, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about children watching how their parents handle stress, how children learn 
by watching their parents managing their stress, managing conflict and things of that nature. And so a lot of the times when parents come in and they sign up for therapy for their kids, do you know what we do? Mm-mm. We ask them to sign up themselves first mm. Mm. because our children are sponges and it's very important that caregivers are tapping into their own mental health mm-hmm. so that they can be better examples for their children. And that stress in childhood, I'm so happy that you mentioned that because it's key. And all of this emphasis on gaming and winning and likes and shares and all of that. One thing that I want to say here, and I could go on and on about this, but I'm going to keep it brief. Parents have to encourage peer interactions. You can negotiate with your kids. Four hours of peer interaction gets you one hour of gaming. Like we have to make sure that our children are still connecting with their peers. That's so important. That peer interaction is so important and alleviates a lot of the internal distress that children deal with on a day-to-day basis. And we have to make sure that children have the opportunity to express themselves. This idea that children should be seen and not heard, that's like a thing of the past. That is unhealthy. It causes mental illness. We have kids that are cutting themselves. They are self-mutilating. We have to allow children to speak their minds and parents have to give them the space to do that. Well, I wanna thank you, Shelly. And like I said, I am based in Atlanta, Georgia. I know you're licensed in Florida. You make trips to Georgia. Please yes. make time and come over. We can talk stress-free, you know. Absolutely. I can show you my garden. I can make oh, some I salsa wait. right in front of you <laughs> with the jalapenos I freshly picked, the onions I freshly oh, wow. picked, the cilantro I freshly picked, and the hokey ch- beefsteak tomatoes that we're going to shred up and enjoy. Of course, the chips are going to be store-bought. I can't do everything if I get you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but again, uh, I, I, I appreciate your smile. I appreciate your energy. More important, the honest conversation. That's why I couple bringing on money-making conversations in Masterclass. So know you have a home here to be able to form, to be able to communicate, and I like to believe that the conversation I was able to deliver you was one of honesty and one that you was able to expound on and deliver information for my audience, okay? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Okay, cool. If you want to hear or see this interview on Money Making Conversations, uh, go to moneymakingconversations.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. You've been listening to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Always remember to lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations Masterclass is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. This week I sat down with Earthquake. He's starring the Dave Chappelle home team, Earthquake Legendary, streaming on Netflix. Earthquake shares why he puts his faith in his work and allows it to speak for itself. You the real deal, correct, Earthquake? Yes, I mean, because I just believe let the work speak for itself. If nothing else, I always felt in our profession that stage is an equalizer. The credits can get you applause in the beginning, and but uh, the jokes, the work, you can tell who works on their craft and who's in our craft um, deserve to be there. Mm-hmm. And I took that so, I, I always concentrated on the work, Rashawn. The work mm-hmm. speaks for itself. If you want to listen to this full interview with Earthquake, it's available on moneymakingconversation.com.